it was, do I go? You know, we're there to remember the memory of my mom, but at the same time, will it be a scene if somebody shows up and here's this child that we didn't know about for mm-hmm. 35 years? And it wasn't like that at all. I walked in and immediately was hugged and they were very accepting. Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. I am the adoptive mother of four. I don't just talk about adoption. I live adoption. I love adoption. If you haven't heard of us, we tell stories from all over the world from the perspective of the birth parent, adoptee, and adoptive parent. We talk about adoption and foster care and the real issues that are happening right now. If you're about to start your adoption journey, or if you need help in your adoption process, we want to connect you to the resources you need. We have agencies, therapists, lawyers that can help you. You can check our resources out on our website at adoptionnow.com. Also, we have a new blog, and it's set up to be available for guest bloggers. If you've learned about adoption or adoption has touched you in some way, we would love for you to submit a blog has to be between 800 and 1,000 words. We just had a submission from Israel. It's called Adoption is a Mosaic. It was so good. It was about blending a family together through adoption and accepting a child with all of their bits and pieces and experiences. You can find that at adoptionnow.com as well. Okay, so today we have an adoptee from Nashville. Listen, grab your Kleenex box. This story, it's so wonderful. My guest has such grace and peace as he shares his adoption journey. Mike, welcome to the show. Great to be on. How did you hear about us? A very funny story. I was actually uh, in my adoption search. I, I basically just went on a podcast on my iPhone and I typed in adoption and your podcast came up. And so I would listen to the stories of other adoptive children than that. And it kind of gave me initiative to actually go forward in my process. I am so happy to hear that. I'm so happy that the work we're doing here is reaching people and helping them find their voice and find the truth about their stories. Your story is, is amazing. And you can really see God taking you through the journey and that he had purpose and you're, your perspective on it is so enlightening. I hope that people will love the story. I hope that if there's an adoptee out there that's searching for identity, that they hear your story and that they also get inspired. Let's talk about the very, very beginning, Mike. Let's talk about your adoptive parents and the life they had before you. They were foster parents? Yes, which I recently found out. I, I always knew that they were foster parents. I didn't know how many till this month. My dad told me that they had about 30. Uh, adoptive children. Wow. They were foster parents too. And did they want to adopt? Yeah, my uh, adoptive mom couldn't have children. So it was just kind of one of the things where they could still help children and, and be a part in their lives. And I, I think they did. With, with my story, I was obviously a newborn. So they had the opportunity to have me right at birth. And so they stopped with me foster parent. Wow. The the last child. Hey, that must make you feel really special. They had 30 children and yeah, and you're the one that they got to raise. That's such a special thing. So how much did you weigh when you were born? Uh, A whopping three pounds, two ounces. Really? 
Yeah, I was born premature. Do you know how uh, far along your birth mother was? Well, she found out about me. Um, she was pregnant six months is when she found out about me. So I'm not sure the exact time frame. Uh, so it was probably the, the eight months mark. Uh, I was definitely uh, early. So they had to dress me in cabbage patch dolls, <laughs> clothing because they couldn't find anything that was small enough to fit me. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> I still have one of my little hats that I wore, and it, it's so small. It, it's crazy. Okay, so at three pounds, did you stay in the hospital for a while, or were they able to take you home? Uh, not right away. I was actually I was on a heart monitor, and I was in the hospital for about three months. And they were looking for a family for me, uh, and then they found my parents. Uh, the company that did it was Wisconsin Lutheran Services. I think I was there for two, three months before I was actually brought to a home. And once they got you, did they know they wanted to adopt you? Were you adoptable? Uh, at that time, no. They were actually putting out uh, an ad in the paper to locate my father because mm-hmm. my mom had already given up her rights. So they were looking for the father, and there's a certain time frame. I'm not sure how long it is, but when the time expired, then they were legally able to adopt me. I was legally able to go to a home. And did they know right away that this was their baby? No. They thought when they got the call from the adoption agency, they actually thought that they packed up all my stuff. And they thought they were actually bringing me to go to a a home. And when they got down there, the agency said, we think we found the perfect home for Mike. And they said, we think he'd fit best at your house. Hmm. And without, without batting an eye, they both were like, yes. Aww. Was your mom so happy? Yeah. Yeah. Um, They... I was basically named after my uncle, who died a year before, and I think I had already bonded with them as a baby, that they thought it was best to just keep me in that situation. I had already built kind of a relationship with them mm-hmm. as an infant, that they thought that the way that things were going, I would be the best fit. Did they continue to foster They had one child. Her name was Erica, I believe, but she eventually went to a home and then they no longer had any other foster kids. I was the final straw. Uh, (laughs) No, completion. You were the completion. I was the completion. Yes. (laughs) So tell me what story they told you when you were growing up. Like, what did you know about your adoption? It's weird because I don't ever really remember a time that me and my dad or my mom sat down and they said, you're adopted. I couldn't pinpoint that. And I even tried talking to my dad about it. Was there a time that you can remember that this happened? I want to say it was more middle school, high school. And my adoptive mom did pass away when I was nine. Uh, So I want to feel like it was a little bit after that into my high school years. Your dad talked to you? Yeah. And I I took it well. To me, I was like, okay. To me, it was my parents, you know, 
I was looking at it as I have a dad and a mom and I'm adopted. It really didn't, it really wasn't something that I really thought about a lot mm-hmm. till later. I had a great family. So you were close They're, to your mom and dad? Yeah, absolutely. Can you talk to me about when you were nine? Sure. My mom was really into ceramics. We still have the kilns in our basement back home. So she would teach a class on, I want to say it's Monday nights. She'd teach a ceramic class and ladies would get together and they would paint. And she was a little sick. She had a cold. I remember that night and we went home and my dad worked in the morning. Uh, So he would get up at 530 and then my mom would get me up at about seven to go to school. Well, the next morning was September 22nd, 1992. I woke up and no alarm. My mom didn't wake me up or anything. And she was in the chair sleeping. So I kind of was like, I'm going to be a big boy and I'm going to make my lunch because she would always usually do that for me. But this particular morning, I was like, well, I'll make it and, you know, show that I'm a big kid. And as I started making it, she didn't really move that much, and uh, I just kind of knew it was getting time. I, I would get picked up from a, another family to go to school. So I I knew that something was wrong because she wasn't waking up, and I, I called her name and tried to shook her, and basically when the family came to pick me up, they knew there was a problem, and called 911 and she had died of a heart attack in her sleep. That was the app when I was nine. Wow. So that, that was a, a tough day. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those days that you won't forget. So I guess something like that, you can comprehend it as a nine-year-old, but at the same time, I, I knew that my mom was gone, but I knew she was in heaven. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about soccer. You have this incredible story about soccer. Yeah. The night before that happened, I was in fourth grade. So I, I played soccer and I asked my mom, you know, I knew that she had a cold and that I was like, are you going to be at my game tomorrow? And she was like, yeah. And I was nine years old. At the, so I didn't know any better. So I was like, well, what if you die? Will you still be at my game? And she said, yes. And the day that she died, I still went to school and played in that soccer game because she told me that she would be there. As a nine-year-old, did you believe that she was there? Yes. I I had a Christian family. You know, I went to a Christian school and church, and and that was just something that I knew. I felt that, you know, mom was in heaven, and that's where you want to go. And I just believe that from heaven, she was still watching me, that she was still there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't remember a lot. They told me I played really good. You know, looking back at it now at nine, you know, everyone, you know, why would you go to school when something like that happens? But to me, it was more, I knew that she said that she would be there. So I really wanted to play in that game. Mm -hmm. And I played soccer up until I graduated. Wow. You know, the story is so hard because I think about, I have an eight-year-old right now and we're very close. And so it's just so, I can't even imagine what you went through 
as a nine-year-old. How much did your faith play into not only from nine, but, you know, your whole life? Uh, when that happened, you know, with, with the Christian school and that, it, it was always there. But there were times when, I'll, I'll be honest, it faded. Mm-hmm. You know, it did feel like, why are these things kind of happening? I, I don't think there's ever been an, an unbelief at all. But there were times of questioning, and I think that happens to a, a lot of people. At some points, there's events in their life where they'll question, is is God here? Because there were times that, that I did feel alone. And my dad did, did great. I mean, the, the way he handled it after that was, he was my best friend till today. I almost talked to him every day. So it became kind of a questioning faith and questioning where I was in my life. And when I had a son of my own and the experience that I went through with finding my birth mom, in a way, as tragic as as some events are in your life, I think they happen because it does build back your faith and you do learn a lot from, from those things. Mm-hmm. So I'm at a point now where, with what what has happened to me, as tragic again as those are, I I feel that my belief in my system of faith is reestablished, mm. where these things seem m- miraculous to me. So I yeah. have the childlike faith at nine, knowing that mom's in heaven. Now that I'm older, you know it's. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm getting it all in perspective of purpose and seeing it in my own son of, you know, that's kind of the way I feel God is to us as as humans, you mm-hmm. know, a father figure. Right. And so th- th- that's what's kind of reestablished my faith. But yeah, there were some years where I, I questioned and those are hard years. It's a lot of loss. So your dad stepped in and it sounds like you guys are very close did he remarry? Yep. He worked at a town called Fort Atkinson in Wisconsin, and he remarried in 1996. And again, it was one of those things where I have a great relationship with my stepmom. And and I remember when he started dating again and getting close to uh, another woman. I remember driving home with him one night, and I wasn't talking much. And he just looked at me, and I think he knew what was up. And he said, you know what, Mike, no matter what happens, you know, Dad's always going to love you, no no matter what. Mm-hmm. Even though there's a new mommy figure in your life. I, I, I think I, I was kind of jealous, like, you know, maybe Dad won't, you know, maybe our relationship won't be the same if, you know, there's a new person there. But when he told that to me, it just reestablished that, you know, my dad loves me and I want the best for him and I want him to find happiness. And yeah, my stepmom's been great, has helped me through a, a lot of things. I've been blessed with a very, very great family growing mm-hmm. up. And and that's been helpful as well. It sounds like she was willing to step into that role. Did you feel like she was like a mother to you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You did, and I and I still do to this day, and mm-hmm. it's 
it, it's great to have that. And she's a better cook than my dad. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Hopefully he won't listen to that. He's definitely going to listen to that. Yeah, That's yeah, funny. Trouble. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we have to take a break. When we come back, I want to ask you, what happened in your life to make you wonder about your birth mom and go on that journey? So stay sure. tuned. You're listening to Adoption Now. We'll be right back. Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I am Noah, April's husband, and as you know, the adoptive dad of four. Today I have AJ with me, our eight-year-old son. Hi, Dad. AJ, do you have anything to say to our listeners? Yes. Thank you for listening to Adoption Now. Your mom loves to talk about it, doesn't she? She sure does. Keep listening and subscribe to our weekly episodes. If you have a story you would like to tell, please check us out at AdoptionNow.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today, we're talking to Mike Marsden, and he is sharing his adoption journey. He was adopted as a baby. He was born, he was only three pounds and wearing little cabbage patch clothes. And his parents, who had been foster parents, they adopted him. And he had a very close relationship with his mother, who passed away when he was nine. And his dad stepped in, and they became very close. He did get remarried. And so in this story, Mike, you are now in high school and you have this stepmother who you are close to and who you love. What in your life in your 20s and 30s made you go, I think I want to find my birth parent? Great question. Uh, Yeah, there was high school, uh, there was college, and then I ended up moving to Nashville to pursue music, uh, which is where I currently am. And I have a son of my own. He is eight years old, and I just have always had this thought in the back of my mind. Uh, You know, when you go to the doctor and you get a physical or for anything, and they'll ask you family history of, you know, is there anything in your your family's history that we need to be aware of that maybe you could have? Mm -hmm. And I always had to say, I'm adopted, so I couldn't really tell you. Mm-hmm. So with my son getting older, there were things that I was like, you know, I'd really like to know what it is that I should be looking out for health-wise. Mm-hmm. And there was this kind of motivation with my son, too, that I wanted him to know his his, his family. And I had talked to my dad about it a couple times. And he had shared some information with me that he knew her real name. He'd seen it by accident at the hospital. And he told me that she was younger and was a college student in Madison, he thought. We didn't really know for sure. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of thought about it even more. And my roommate bought his girl the 23andMe kit, which... And no one's seen it. It's, you basically uh, get a kit in the mail, and you can you spit in a cup, basically, and send it back to them. And she did it, and I was, I was very, like, enlightened by that. She got so much information back. And I was like, wow, I can really learn about hereditary ancestry, health factors. So I did it. And they got my results back. And I knew that my mom's name was um, Maria Caruso. Mm -hmm. And 
when I got the results back, there was a Caruso in the DNA relatives that I was linked to. So that's when I took took the step and said, you know, I feel like this is the calling. I feel like this is the time. I, I had talked it over with my dad and said, you know, there's nothing against you. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy. I said, this is just something that I'm going to go forward with. And whatever the results are, that's what it is. You're my dad, no matter what. Mm -hmm. So I emailed a girl. Her name was Caitlin Caruso. And I just sent her a message saying, Hey, I'm, was adopted when I was born, and I was just wondering if there's, you know, a Maria or a Marie in the family with the last name Caruso. And she she got back with me and uh, was very, you know, really willing to help me out. And I actually had another lady here in Nashville I was telling my story to, and she was helping me out on 23andMe, sending out emails to different relatives and that. And Caitlin got back to us and said that she had asked around in the family that there was a Maria, but there was no adoption. So then I, I kind of gave up. Um, Did you feel disappointed? Because your DNA test is telling you you're related to this person. It's not like you went into the phone book and you looked up a last name, and hopefully your DNA is connecting you to these people. You could say I was disappointed because I really thought I was on the trail. Mm-hmm. And when that happened, I was like, all right, you know, I guess... You know, this I'm, this person doesn't know. Or I found out that in Italian, Caruso is a very common last name. Uh, mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, that's fine. Maybe I should look somewhere else. So mm-hmm. I literally got on the internet and just typed in Wisconsin adoption. And the agency popped up for Wisconsin. I think it was Wisconsin Department of Adoption. I may have that wrong, but anyways, there was an adoption agency and you just submitted a form and, and sent an email and they got back to me and said, yeah, you know, you paid, I think I paid like $80 and you can write a letter along with it when you send in the application. So I knew her name and I knew the adoption agency. So that helped them a little bit. And then the, the letter I wrote and then from there, they do their search. What year um, is it at this time? This was last year. I want to say around August, September. Okay. Last year, like 2018? Yep. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, well, that's yeah, interesting. I, if an adoptee is listening, you can submit your paperwork to this place and see if they can find. Was it like an investigator or was it your actual agency? Uh, it wasn't my adoption agency. It was just a, a department. I'm not sure how it goes with each state. I'm pretty sure each state has a an adoption agency department mm-hmm. that will help assist. And I mean, in a way, they were detectives because they they go and try to track down the records. And I mean, they sent everything to me all wow. the way down to a T with medical information and everything. Were you excited or were you nervous? Oh, I think it was both. Well, first they say, you know, allow two, three weeks and we'll get back to you. And the the first step is you have to find out whether or not they're living or deceased. Mm -hmm. In which case 
I was trying to make myself mentally expect both scenarios, you know? Right. Uh, if she's deceased, then, you know, what do I pursue any farther? If she's living, then obviously, you know, I want to try to make contact. So the, the good news is, is they called me and said, we have found her and her name was you know, Marie Caruso. And they said, the next step that we do is we will send her the letter that you wrote and say that you want to be in contact with her. And it's her option whether or not she wants her information released. They can't mm-hmm. legally give that to me unless she obliges. But they said they could send me some medical reports on that from my adoption, but they could not give me her name legally. So it was in September, but they called me and said, we just got off the phone with your mom and she has agreed to release her information to you. Oh my goodness. Wait, what was that like? Were you like, oh my gosh. I I was excited. I was like, wow, this is really happening. You know, she was alive. Mm -hmm. I felt good because the acceptance factor of awesome. She wants to make contact. In the letter that I wrote to her, I told her that, you know, I, I have no ill will towards you these last 35 years. If, if anything, I respect you for, you know, what you did and giving me a chance. And I, I told her that I have a son, so she'd had a, a grandson. And I, she didn't say it to me, but I, I think that letter played a big part because I think when the family member came to her and said, Hey, this guy on 23 and me is saying that we have someone in the family that's, you know, put up, a put them up for adoption. Is it you? I don't think she was ready yet. Mm. I came out of nowhere from a family member. Okay. So that was her. That was her at first. Yeah. Okay. So she just denied it. And then there was more time, and then she got your letter, and now she's like, okay. Yeah. The the girl on 23andMe, her name was Caitlin. That that would be my cousin. Okay. um, Is the one that went to her, and she told her no. But when she got the letter, I think it it became more real. Mm -hmm. uh, That, wow, okay, this is happening. So she sent me a letter back, and I got all of the documents that she had written when I was born, what she wanted my adoptive parents to do. I mean, everything. What did she want them to do? She wanted me to be raised in a home uh, where I would be taken to Sunday school because Mm. she was taken to Sunday school. She wanted a mom that could stay at home with me, which is exactly what happened. My mom didn't work. My adoptive mom didn't work. And she wanted to eventually make contact with me and said that that was fine. So I don't think my my adoptive parents ever saw that. My dad said he didn't know anything about it, but it is weird how it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. I was raised uh, going to, to church and I, you know, my mom did stay at home with me. So it was great to get that letter back in the mail, and it had her cell phone number, and that's when I made the call. Did you feel like at that moment that she really cared about you? To go to detail and say, I want him to do these things, I want the mom to be like this, did that make you feel like, 
wow, she she really cared. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's better than a blank answer. Uh, mm-hmm. for sure that reading it, yeah, there was sincerity, and you know, she put down that you know I was going through financial difficulty, and I don't think that I would be able to take on you know this burden and give him a suitable environment. Ah, well, you're not uh, a burden. But the financial so. responsibility, <laughs> I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. So you get her number. Did you call her immediately? Yeah, it was during the day, and I was talking to my girlfriend, and, and I, I think I talked to my dad, and I said, I think I'm going to do this tonight. And if I didn't do it right away, it wasn't more than a day, because I, I, I was ready. Yeah. I was ready at that point to, to definitely make contact. Okay, so you're calling her, ring, ring, ring. What is the first thing you say? This person is not available. Please leave a message after the tone. Oh, my gosh. No. Uh, uh, so I left a message, and within two minutes, uh, she called her back. And there was a strong Wisconsin accent, which anyone from Wisconsin knows what I'm talking about. But she was just like, hello. I'm your mom. And I was, I was like, hi, I'm, I'm your son. And there was a little silence. I think in the moment it was just, here we are. Wow. It's so incredible. Yeah, we just started talking. And what was your story? Did you get the full story? As far as? Did she tell you uh, why you were born at three pounds and, you know, why she didn't find out until six months later that she was pregnant. Yeah. yeah. She went into the doctor for a test and I don't know if it was a blood test or what kind there was, but they were like, you, you know, you're pregnant. And yeah, she just at, at that time was like, I, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't be ready for this. And I, I think it was too far along to do anything like an abortion, too. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure. This was back in 83. So she just said I couldn't barely support myself. So I, I didn't know how it was going to be able to support me and you. Mm-hmm. Did and she tell you why you were born at three pounds? No. Or early, uh, I guess I should say. No, she didn't tell yeah. you. Did she tell guess- you how long she stayed in the hospital or what it was like for her afterwards? No, I know with her parents, her dad was pretty strict. And she said that he pretty much, I don't know if she was living with him, but she was told to just get out. Mm. Um, So I I think they might have known. But she ended up, I think with the adoption, she ended up working at a bank for many, many years. She was married and got divorced. She was living by herself in Stoughton. Oh, she never had any other children? No other children. Nope. Wow. Did you find out any information that you didn't know before while talking to her? Not not really. I mean, just knowing that I didn't realize that I had been in the hospital for as long as I was. And I didn't realize that it, it had taken a couple months before I was actually placed into a home. I thought, I'm born. Here's a family. You know, see you later. I didn't realize that. It was actually, you know, weeks to a couple months before I actually had a home mm-hmm. as a baby. Did um, you decide that you were going to meet her in person? 
I did. And that was kind of one of the first things, you know, she asked. She's like, well, when when are you coming up here? <laughs> and I, ironically, she lived eight minutes from where I grew up. My whole no life. way. So I lived in Edgerton and she lived in a town called Stone, which literally is like 10 minutes away. Oh, um, my goodness. Do you think you ever saw her at the grocery store? I don't know. Um, She did live in Madison for a majority of that time, which isn't that far either. That's probably Mm -hmm. 30 minutes from where I I live. But I could have, at least till I was 18, and then I pretty much moved out of the state. Wow. Okay, so you decide that you're going to meet her, but you live in Nashville, so you have to take a flight? to Wisconsin? Well, my, my family all lives up there still. My dad still lives in the same house he built in 73. And I go up there every Christmas. And so I was going to be up there. And I think we made contact in October. We talked on Thanksgiving Day. And we, we tried to talk at least once every week because we were learning more about each other. And she told me already in November, she's like, I got you a present for Christmas. And I was like, wow, you know, I'm a big Packer fan. So she was just excited. And she was excited to meet my son and and my girlfriend. And so we went up there December 26th, and I met her for the first time on December 27th. Wow. How long did you spend together? Uh, A couple hours the first time uh, we went out to eat at a little cafe diner right there in Stoughton and made plans then to pretty much hang out again on New Year's Eve. And that was the time that I brought Jake over to meet her and my girlfriend. So she got to meet her grandson. What was that like meeting her? Did you guys like hug? Did you feel connected to her? It helped too because we had been talking on the phone prior right. and, and sending pictures and she had a caretaker, someone that would help her around the house and she had Facebook. So she was able to look up things about me on Facebook and stuff. So we knew each other in that extent of like, it wasn't, we didn't know, not know anything about each other. I think we had time to talk and get things out, but yeah, we definitely hugged and it just felt real Mm -hmm. it was definitely moving yeah so you fly back tell our listeners what happened uh yeah i came back on new year's day i want to say that was a tuesday i think new year's day fell on a tuesday this year and saturday we talked on the phone and she sounded fine we were excited we were i was saying well hey i'm gonna be you know this is when i'm gonna be back up to wisconsin and the next Wednesday, which I think was January 7th, it was the morning time. I got a call from her at about 7.15, and I couldn't answer it at that time. When I got in my car about 15 minutes later, I listened to the voicemail that she left, and it was actually from a police officer saying, could I call back? And I knew something was wrong, so I called and I got the officer, and he told me that they had found her outside of the apartment complex and that they were unable to revive her. And we're actually still waiting on what the cause of death is. Oh, my goodness. 
How did you take that? Again, it was just, is this really happening? Mm-hmm. Because we just talked on Saturday and I just saw her and you know, she was 56 and she had some back problems where she'd have to get some uh, injections in her spine. But, you know, there was nothing that out of the ordinary that made it seem like, you know, this person's going to pass away soon. So it, it was, yeah, it was one of those, I, I can't believe this. And I asked, you know, was there any foul play? Uh, or like, can you give me any any information here? And he, he couldn't, you know. Yeah, that's so hard. Did it take you back to your mother when you were nine? It, it did. Uh, mm-hmm. In a different way, I think processing it now that I'm 35. But yeah, it was one of the first things that I thought about is I lost a mom and now I'm losing my, my birth mom. Mm-hmm. So then I got a message on Facebook from her caretaker like a day after that, and she was able to give me the number of her brother. And she hadn't told anyone in the family yet about me. So I had to make the phone call to her brother and say, hey, uh, I'm your sister's son. And that was a long conversation. Wow. Yeah. Um, I keep saying wow, because it's just... It's a lot for you to take on. And here yeah. in your grief, you're like, hey, guess what? Big family news. Did you go to the funeral? I did. You um, did? I was able to talk to him. And I think Caitlin reached out to me. The girl that was on 23 and Me mm-hmm. uh, reached out to me. And my uncle told some of the family before I came to the funeral and it was one of those things, too, where it was, do I go? You know, we're there to remember the memory of my mom, but at the same time, will it be a scene if somebody shows up and here's this child that we didn't know about for mm-hmm. 35 years? And it wasn't like that at all. I walked in and immediately was hugged, and they were very accepting. It was emotional, and it, it was tragic because we're mourning the loss. Mm-hmm. of someone but at the same time exciting because we're meeting for the first time yeah as a family and i wonder if her family felt like there's a piece of her still alive that they didn't know about they're still yeah. kind of connected to her and here's this person that's it's a miracle really that you were brought back into their lives at this time i mean if you have faith you're like wow god is really in this but it's just very It's just amazing is what it is. It's just an amazing story of timing and loss. And you kind of bring joy to the story. And in the beginning of what I said, as far as reestablishing faith, to me, this is is a miracle as far as timing that how does that happen that the way it's all played out that I get to meet her. And Mm -hmm. I think this story would play out totally different had I found out, hey, we found your birth mom, she's deceased, mm-hmm. you know, good luck to you. Um, yeah. But I actually, you know, have found closure to to know that she was able to meet me, and she wrote me a Christmas card saying, you know, I'm very proud of you, mm. and, you know, I'm I'm glad that I, I'm your mom. And those things are 
you know, that, that'll be engraved forever that mm-hmm. I actually, you know, got to, to see those things. So as tragic as it is, that, that's how I find the positives out of all this. So you are glad that you went on that journey? I am. Yeah. What's your advice to other adoptees? If you want to pursue, you have to be open to any kind of outcome. You have to have openness to, they may not want to see me. They may not want me to, you know, interfere. And I I wrote that in the letter to my mom as I said, you know, if you don't want to talk to me, I I totally understand. I'm not here to disrupt, you know, your life. I had no idea if she was married or, you know, uh, how do you tell your husband, oh, by the way, this son Mm -hmm. I gave away for adoptions back. So you have to be open to, you may not get the outcome that you want, but then if you don't do it, you may not be able to experience the joy from doing it. Mm-hmm. And I, I say, we, you know, we live in an age now where I didn't really do it before. I didn't really know how. And now you can turn on the TV and there's a commercial saying, hey, we can just take a little bit of your saliva and you can find out your ancestry. You can find, you know, relatives that match your DNA. Yes. It's and, amazing. And so, yeah, the technology is there. And, and 23andMe has heard this, so they reached out to me. And the opportunities that I have that I, I definitely want to inspire and, and say to anyone that wants to adopt or is adopted, it can be a very, very beautiful thing. And not every outcome is miraculous. And this outcome, I can say, is not the, the outcome that I wanted. I didn't want her to pass away. But at the same time, I'm able to find closure and comfort because I did go forward with this when I did. Yeah. Mike, thank you so much for your time. I'm telling you, your story is very inspiring to me because it's filled with a lot of loss. But at the same time, the way you tell it is so filled with grace and thankfulness and complete gratitude towards your adoptive family and towards your whole life journey. And staying in that place can help you heal and help you move forward. And I just am so, so thankful myself that you reached out. So thank you for your time today. And hopefully we can inspire a lot of adoptees to go forward in finding the truth about their story. Absolutely. Thank you. And I appreciate everything you guys are doing. And I hope you continue to do it. Because like I said, I wouldn't have pursued probably if I, you know, your podcast is definitely being listened to by people. Um, so I'm, I'm glad I was able to share my story today. Yeah, thank you so much, Mike. You're welcome. Don't forget to like Adoption Now on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and remember all of our podcasts are available at adoptionnow.com. Thank you for tuning in to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. See you next week. <laughs>